So I've got this recurring dream, not really a, a nightmare exactly, but a troubling dream. It's someone I know sometimes, sometimes I don't know who they are. Sometimes I can see their face, sometimes they're calling me on a phone, sometimes they're right in front of me. They're reaching out for me for help, but I can't reach them. It's a very physical thing, almost as if our hands are getting close to touching, but I just cannot reach them. Now, maybe this is a dream I have as a helping professional, but I'm sure some of the rest of you have had a similar dream. That feeling of, I can't reach them. That's the theme of today's song. Except it's much more intimate than the dream I was describing. It's been real for many of us. The person in today's song of the soul could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a friend. Someone who's caught in that downward spiral of addiction and self-harm and chaos. I've been in those conversations. I know that many of you have been in those conversations where regardless of what you do, it's that powerless feeling that nothing you can do can reach that person who's going down and down and down. And to be honest, at times, I've been the other person in that conversation, the person who's causing the harm or the self-harm, and someone is not able to reach me. Where I'm the person that someone is trying to reach to wake up. How powerless that is. And at the same time, it's not helpless. There's a difference between powerlessness and helplessness. And I came to this awareness on Friday, just before this message, thank God. And I came to it by way of something that, um, that is not high stakes. Not really high stakes, when I'm honest about it. I came to it by way of baseball. And I came to it by way of, yes, your boos and your hisses. I've heard them all before. I came to it by way of a Yankees game. My team, late night, watching the game. Eighth inning, ninth inning, tenth inning. And the next morning, I had the mindfulness retreat. And I wanted to be well-rested for the mindfulness retreat. And then, and then the, the ninth inning, very dramatic, became the tenth inning, very dramatic. And the eleventh and the twelfth and the thirteenth. I was sitting there and I started to get angry. I started to get angry at the game. Just wind this thing up already. Come on. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and at the same moment of noticing what a ridiculous thought that was, I actually recognized there's a difference between powerlessness and helplessness. Totally powerless over the outcome of that game. They lost anyway in 15 innings. And I stayed up because I chose not to be helpless. I wanted to watch the game. And I kept watching the game, regardless of the outcome. That's the difference between powerlessness and helplessness. Now, of course, there are much higher stakes when someone we love is causing themselves to suffer and causing chaos around them. And we don't know what to do. It is a powerless place. And it also can be a powerfully powerless place if we keep, keep, and keep on keeping on with our hearts open. Because the truth is we don't know what will work. We don't know what the magic word, phrase, action will be 
that will get them to see that they can experience healthiness, that they can experience wholeness, that they do not have to live in this way, this addictive downward spiral of shame and anger and chaos and pain. So often I don't know what to do in those spaces. What I do know is that even if it doesn't feel good, to stay standing in the gap of that vulnerable heart is incredibly powerful without doing two things. One would be springing into the same old codependent action that maybe we've taken before. You know the way it goes. Oh, if only I was bright enough. If only I was loving enough. If only I could find the right words. If only I was slyly manipulative enough. They would get it. And they would find their way back to healthiness. Not doing that, but not doing the other hand either. Closing down. Cutting off, even if this person is unsafe for us and we need physical distance from them. I'm talking about the cutting off that happens when we close down the heart, the hardening of the heart. To stay in this place in which we don't close the heart and at the same time admit, I don't know what's going to be effective here. That is to get in touch with a word that I don't use very often from this pulpit and a lot of progressive spiritual folks don't use very often for some good reasons and for some not good reasons. The good reasons, I think, is this. Because that word, that ancients, Ancient spiritualities wrote about a whole great deal is sacrifice. Sacrifice which in ancient tradition so often is bound up with making others suffer. With blood and with violence. And yet the inner meaning of sacrifice is quite powerful. I think this song is about sacrifice. Of knowing the limits of what we can do and what we might be a- ever able to do. Loving and at the same time letting go and recognizing how powerless we are. But there's another reason that sacrifice doesn't come up very often for many of us. And it has to do with our modern preoccupations with power. In most American society, we hear a lot of talk about acquiring power and wanting power in some ways that is good and absolutely just. We've got Chester County Futures here, as you know, and I want more power for Chester County Futures. I want more power for the wonderful kids that they serve and they see who are so often rendered invisible by the larger society. That's not the kind of empowering power that I'm talking about that allows people to be visible. I'm talking about the kind of power that is an end in itself. We hear so many programs, so many promises about it. If I just had more power, more ability to do what I wanted to do, then all the problems would go away and I could take care of everything. But that's not what the path of sacrifice is about. It's about relenting from power, giving power back, not embracing power. And so often for us, that is a sacrifice. It means embracing our discomfort, our broken and still loving hearts. And certainly, at the least, it means sacrificing the idea that love, no matter how deeply we love, assures a happy ending. Now here's the truth. Sometimes. Sacrifices on this level can work. (laughs) Giving up any claims to being effective 
And my exhibit A for this is this creature. An ugly doll. This ugly doll, in this case, is named Wilson. And this ugly doll has been in the life of my niece, Margot, for the last eight years. She's nine now, and she got the ugly doll named Wilson... It came from, uh, remember Castaway? Remember that bloody handprint on the uh, volleyball? Well, Wilson, if you look at him, especially after the years, I'm getting a little dirty, he looks a lot like a Wilson from Castaway. So here's the thing, and you know, Wilson still exists to this day. He's been stitched up and laundered and done surgery on. It's amazing he's still with us. Margo was about two or three years old. And for those of you who are parents, I probably don't need to say anything more. Two or three, and just coming into that place of recognizing that she was a self. In connection with all these other selves around her. So many of them bigger than her, stronger than her, had more power over her. And so she, not being evil or bad in any way, just recognized that one of the ways she could establish her power, her sense of being in life, was bedtime. And with my sister... And my brother-in-law, for months on end, bedtime became a painful slog. Bedtime became coddling, cajoling. It became bargaining. It became getting angry. And nothing was working. Bedtime just became a stressful time for all of them. Until my sister... My brother-in-law decided, we don't know what to do. So what we're going to do is not engage. And so one night it started up again, as it had for months before then, and they just said, we're not going to engage. She comes out crying, another glass of water, another story, another this, another that. We're just going to pick her up, put her back in bed, no words. Pick her up, put her back in bed, no words. Pick her up, put her back in bed, no words. And then the tantrum of all tantrums started. <laughs> and I can only imagine what this is like. For those of you who are parents, you don't have to imagine it at all. I'm sure some of you have it echoing in your ears for maybe even last night. And they just wouldn't engage. And trust me, it was a sacrifice for them because they hated doing this. They hated to see their little girl in pain. But nothing else was working. And eventually, after like a couple hours, they were right in the next room right next door in their bedroom they heard Margot start to go quiet and they heard audibly out loud well okay Wilson nobody's coming <laughs> I guess we have to go to bed and she got it right there the beginning of resilience she can take care of some of her own stuff. Relative to today's song, there's a story that a guy named Edwin Friedman, Rabbi Edwin Friedman, tells about. And he's a, a teacher of systems theory in both congregations and in family life. A wonderful book called Generation to Generation. And he's talking about an experience of working with a woman who's married to an alcoholic who will not quit drinking. Over and over and over again, she tries to bargain, she tries to beg, she tries to cover up, she tries to do everything she can to keep him from realizing the real chaos and pain that he is causing and the real chaos and pain that he's in until finally she gets to a point 
of needing the sacrifice. I can't do anything anymore. And so one morning, sitting at their coffee table, maybe the 10,000 hangover this guy has ever had, and without any hope, she says, I know that you're going to drink yourself to death. And so there's only one thing I ask. Would you please just up your contribution to your life insurance policy so when you die, you don't leave me and the kids destitute? Bam. (laughs) That did it. He actually got sober as a result of that conversation. She had no idea if it was going to work. It was the last thing she ever wanted to say to him. She had given up and sacrificed. Now, I'd love to tell you I can end the message right here. That all of us, if and when we are dealing with people who we love, who are in great pain, who cannot, seemingly cannot find their way back to health and wholeness, Maybe just by giving up, by sacrificing, we can create space and they will find their own way back. But that's not the truth. That is just not the truth. Sometimes, no matter how great the sacrifice we make is, our loved ones will still continue to suffer. It may not work. And so to continue to touch that holy place which is our own broken hearts is to continue to choose not to shut down. This, I think, is true of the end of the song. I know it's unlikely she'll ever be mine, so I mostly just pray she don't die. Breaking it down to the last thing that she can offer, wishing the last act of well-being because nothing else will work. Prayerfully, he makes a sacrifice, knowing that love means no happy endings all the time. This is to be powerfully powerless. We're not without help, not if we stay connected to our own hearts and keep the soul open and know that the real journey in places like this, there is no map for where that journey will take us. And so maybe we connect into these words from Wendell Berry who talks about the real work in this poem, the real work. It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we have come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. Sings in pain, sings in powerlessness, sings in song, sings in prayer. And still finds a way to sing, knowing those moments when we no longer know which way to go, then we have come to our real journey. In this we may recognize the difficult wisdom of the Tibetan teacher Chogyam Trungpa, who said, ultimate bad news, good news, and no taking one without the other here. He said, the bad news is that we're falling. The bad news is that we're falling, and there's no parachute, and we don't know when the falling will end. The good news is that there's no ground to land on. We just learned what it's like to fall and keep the heart 
open. At this point, we may touch the reality of a faith that is deeper than any faith that can be expressed in words. A love that is deeper than any love that ends in promises of happy endings all the time. This faith is keeping the heart open and knowing that simply to love is real and worthwhile regardless of where it leads us. And it may help us touch something else, something that we tend to hear about in wedding ceremonies when people basically have no clue what they're talking about yet. (laughs) But it is to touch the reality of unconditional love. Not unconditional approval. (laughs) Not unconditional happiness. Not unconditional, hey, it's going to be all right. But just simply unconditional love. Keep the heart open. And to recognize that to stand upon that groundless ground is to maybe find a poise, an equanimity, and a serenity that we never would have known existed from all the pre-established maps that have been given us. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, beyond promise of happy endings, beyond promise, simply of presence. Some of us right now in this room are facing what this song sings of, of a love that knows pain and powerlessness. May we have trust enough not to know where we're going, but simply trust enough to know that where we are standing can be a place of poise and love. And to know that exactly it is at this moment for so many of us when we don't know where to go, that the truest, deepest journey of our lives is beginning. Amen.